Welcome to episode four of Unplugged, talking all things St Kilda. And back on the winner's list, a heart stopper against the Dockers with two goals in the last two minutes. Josh Bruce, the hero, uh, with a goal inside uh, the last minute of the game to give St Kilda a victory that they certainly deserved. It was frustrating. They chased and chased and chased, but they got there. Darren Parkin is my name, Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath with me. Uh, this is our fourth episode. You can catch uh, our previous three and obviously all of our podcasts going forward, including our chat with Spider Everett last week via our Wooshka channel. Just search for Unplugged, but you can also catch us on Spotify and Pitcher and iTunes and all of your uh, favourite podcast uh, networks. Uh, boys, nice to uh, have you with us. And that was a real character-building heart-stopper of a win, H. Nice way to uh, to get the chocolates. Yeah, nice game to go watch and get the good win against them. It's become a bit of a rivalry with them, really, um, mainly because of Ross being there and everything. But... Close games with them, it's been. Yeah, and controversial. Yeah, um, there's been quite a few strange calls that have made games um, basically the result. And, yeah, it's just nice to get over the line against them again. We got them by three points. They got us by five earlier in the year. We've had whispers in the sky. We've had siren gate. Uh, There's been so many of these uh, that we beat them by a point in Tassie another time as well. So I'm sure... Umpire took a mark in one of those games. Yeah, that's right. Peter Carey, yep. Not sure they like us all that much, the uh, the Freo Dockers, but anyway. um, We don't like them either. No, that's exactly (laughs) right. Nick, uh, yeah, that was a... uh, that was a great win, a real good character-boosting win. It really was. It was um, It was really interesting to see them kind of fight back. I thought when when we had the, the momentum early in the game and we kind of really had them by the scruff of the neck and uh, after we, we kind of lost that late in the first quarter and into the second quarter that you know, past St Kilda teams would have just lost it and, and you know, almost dropped their heads and, and walked away. Uh, really impressive, uh, especially in the second half of the the last quarter to, to keep fighting, uh, keep pushing and, and to, you know, get, get the, get the goals through the sticks and, and, you know, really make it count because we've, we've lacked that in, in recent times. Yeah, there's a definite spirit amongst the group. We'll talk about that with our round review shortly. We've had a bit of reminiscing over the last couple of weeks and a H1 topic you brought to the table was a favourite round 22 memory, which often has been the last round of the season. It's obviously not this year with the uh, with the buys, but what's your favourite, uh, I guess, round 22 memory? Because it's been a quirky round. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, I, my memory back was 20, 2005 last, uh, last week as well. Um, I'm going back to 2005 again to the final around with Milne with his 11 straight against Brisbane. Um, team that had really dished it out to us over the previous few years and just went into the finals with a huge win on the back, a highest win ever. Um, it was an amazing scenes in there. The Milne chant towards the end of the game, it, I've never heard the stadium like that. Yeah, and of course, uh, that was the, the, the first meeting against Brisbane after the Rewalt shoulder game, and I think they described it as payback. Nick kicked six himself mm. in that game. What's yours, uh, Nick? Oh, I'll never forget that Milne chant. That's, yeah. that's one of the greatest things I've ever seen at the footy. Um, we're talking about great moments for, for St Kilda. I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for, for a little while um, before before we recorded, but the, the 2013 final game for Justin Kaczynski, Stephen Milne and, and Jason Blake really stood out as as one of those moments that you love being a fan. It was a sad moment, but also a proud moment. You get to see these these guys that you kind of grown up with over decades. Um, you know, get to say goodbye and, and have their their moment in the sun. And um, I remember all game the boys trying to kick the ball to Cosie to get him to kick that last goal, and, <laughs> and robbed, robbed by the yeah, yeah the score of you exactly right. Yeah. But uh, 
yeah, it was it was one of those days that you just you just love football. Got a couple of quirky ones, or one one serious one and one quirky one. When I was a kid, one of my earlier memories of actually listening to a game on the uh, on the radio, nineteen ninety five, Danny Frawley's last game. We played Footscray, who uh, Footscray as they were known at the time, ended up playing in the finals. But we kicked twelve goals to nothing in the first half, twelve goals to zero, and beat them by about seventy odd points. And Winmar and Harvey and Lowe and Spider, they all dominated. And as a kid, that was kind of the inkling because we finished ninety five pretty well. That I oh, yeah, we might might be something building with this group and they won the Anzac Cup in 96 and then played in the grand final in, in 97 but I remember that and Spud getting carried off the ground and a quirky one was when Barry Brooks kicked three against Brisbane at the Gabba in uh, 2006 we were hunting top four we needed other results to go our way we won but we needed I think Carlton to beat Sydney which was nearly impossible given Sydney were the reigning premiers and so it proved to be um, but yeah, there's a, a couple that stand out for mine. A big thank you also to uh, Lloyd Spiegel for their old intro music each and every week. You can check him out at his website as well, www.lloydspiegel.com. So it's double L O Y D S P I E G E L dot com. We are going to be welcomed by the other uh, friendly neighbourhood Schneider man a little bit later on. He'll be joining us, Adam Schneider, uh, fresh from uh, a, a big year for him up in Sydney as the NEFL coach of the GWS Giants and, of course, a, a former Saint, part of our grand final teams in 2009 and 10, and unfortunately part of a Sydney side that tormented us in a preliminary final in 2005. But we'll get to that shortly, but now it is our Saints footy review. Two touched on the line. Will Lady Luck look upon them in this last couple of moments? Off hands. Long is there for the Saints. He knocks it out. Here's Jack Stephen. Here he goes. Will he make his own luck? Yes, sir, this time. Back within three points with two and a half on the clock. What a game. There's his third goal. Seconds keep ticking. They keep ticking. We're down 20 from the scramble. Dockers need to get a kick inside 50. Five gets inside 50. It's been nice to be back playing some football. Yeah, it's good. It's better than running around the twos when it's <laughs> two degrees. So I was pretty rusty, but it's good. How'd you feel of me? I was blowing early, blowing all game, really. So still a bit unfit and a bit fat, but it's all right. And there were a couple of the moments. Uh, Jack Stephen with the goal with about two and a half minutes to go, the snap around the body to get us within a kick. Josh Bruce finished the job after that, but also the courageous mark by Josh Battle, who it must be said started in the initial contest where Fife got the kick and then sprinted down to where the kick landed. And then Jack Stevens sharing a moment with former teammate Nick Del Sano after the game, describing his uh, current level of fitness, which we know is below par, but he was still probably BOG or close to it. Um, it's a strange one. I was... Um, so I watched the first half of this game. Then I had work commitments at the MCG at the Richmond-Carlton game and was watching the game in the pouring rain on the boundary on my phone. Michael Roberts was uh, next to me, the former Saint, who was uh, doing boundary duties as well. And uh, he just kept sort of leaning over to, to sort of see what was happening. And he gave me a bear hug when Josh Bruce kicked <laughs> the goal and we're high-fiving in teaming rain. It was one of my uh, my favourite sort of memories of the season. But I don't know, it was just a funny one. Even when Brandon Matera kicked that goal, I just had a funny feeling that... 
just the way we'd fought all year, the way we'd sort of dug in all year that we weren't quite done with yet and, and just had a funny feeling that maybe it was going to come our way. Yes, yeah, strange one. I, I had sim- similar feelings. It was a bit different for me watching as well. I was uh, at, a, at a work function on Sunday afternoon and uh, had to watch the, the second half on my phone as well. And there might have been a few fist pumps late in the game. <laughs> the just just under the table. Just, you know, high vibe in Dipper, weren't you? Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was a little earlier. Yeah, <laughs> had a bit with Dipper, but that was, that was fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was one of those games where, where neither team, except for I think our, our probably first 15 minutes of the game, neither team really dominated. Uh, it was very even. I think a lot of the stats for, for most of the game were 50 50. And, um, you know, it really got to the point where, you just needed one opportunity to kind of distance yourself or separate yourself from, from the opposition. And, and neither team really did that. Um, and luckily for us, you know, we kicked the last one. Yeah. Um, basically throughout the whole game, I mean, even we kicked the first three goals, you're sort of like, well, that's not going to be enough ever. Um, obviously that was the biggest margin in the whole match. And as Nick said, we got only nine points behind with three minutes to go. And you're sort of thinking that this is definitely not over. And as we showed, yeah, we fought back hard and, got the two goals that we needed and it it's the sort of game as as we're saying other years we would have fallen over and we saw the crafty Ross Lyon on their side of the coin who manipulated the game back their way and, and look credit to him for that I know he cops a, a fair rap or fair roasting from the other St Kilda faithful but credit to him for it but yeah it was just the start of the last quarter I think we kicked four behinds in a row and there was Jack Stephen who missed one where he played on around the body Jack Loney had one touched on the line. Josh Bruce, I think, kicked one out in the full. So there were, there were, there Steve, were Stephen had one out yeah, the on the as full well. as well. Yep. So, and that's where you're getting frustrated. You're like we're peppering and peppering and peppering, and just couldn't quite land them. But the concerning stats were at, at half time. Obviously, we were getting killed in the ruck, but Rowan Marshall had been hampered, and Nat Fife was tearing us a new one. So um, Jack Steele doesn't get beaten very often, but Nat Fife did take him apart, yeah, unfortunately. He, I was, I, was, I heard someone describe saying he wasn't in his back pocket. He was sitting on his back porch. He was too, just, just outside the back door. <laughs> Couldn't get to him. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. I think I think it was also one of those games. You look at look at the stats, and and we kind of led all the important ones. And and I think we we would have been really hard done by to not have won the game. Oh yeah. I think yep. also you know, Frio could make a similar argument that you know they were pretty hard done by to not win, given they led for more of the game than, than we did. But I thought it was really interesting after that first fifteen minutes, as, as we kind of touched on, we dominated them in in that opening part yep. of the, the first quarter, and, and I really thought that. Rowan Marshall going off um, changed the momentum of the game and it allowed allowed um, Fremantle to get more players around the ball. They started winning the, the stoppages and, and Nat Fife really came into his own. I mean, already having a good game. I think he had 10 with eight minutes to go in the first quarter or something. Mm. But he, he, he's a phenomenal player. But it just allowed them more players in, in congestion. It, it got our big body off off the ground um, around the ball in, in those important moments. And... Um, I don't think we really recovered to get any momentum until the last five minutes um, after he went off. And that, that was a really important moment for us. But, you know, we had, had more disposals. We had more inside 50s. Our disposal disposal efficiency was better than theirs. Uh, we had more marks. We controlled the ball better. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last week um, that Adelaide did better than us was, was controlling the ball and, and really controlling the corridor. And I thought we did that this week. Um, we had more tackles and, and uh, more inside 50 tackles. And, and you know, w- when you talk about those important metrics that, that lead to victory or, or lead to success um, and, and getting to that point, then those those are kind of the key ones that, that you know, you talk about and, and, and we won all of those. I think one player that we really did have a little bit of 
have a look at and actually did beat this time because he's been a real pain to us over the years has been um, uh, Michael Walters. Absolutely. He did, he really had no impact. He had one good passage down the wing on one side, um, the opposite side of the ground where I was sitting. Apart from that, we didn't really see much all day. I think so they had kicked third... their first goal of the game. He, and that was he got a goal. Which is a pretty questionable yeah. free kick from yeah. memory. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he did hold, hold patterns. Yeah. Um, he was just blindsided. Um, but yeah, 13 touches and a goal. So compared to what he's done to us previously, we actually have held him out pretty well. And he, Shane Savage did pretty well in that front. Yeah. He did. Do, do you want to talk about the umpiring at all or should, uh, we, just, should we just leave it at that look i think the, the less said the better but um every 50 50 in the last quarter i mean rowan marshall lays what looked to be a legitimate tackle which was holding the ball uh david mundy was spun i think two three sixties in the rule state that if you got someone by the jumper that is a legal tackle so that's that's holding the ball we got well we're, we're lucky with one we'll acknowledge that i thought fife was pushed in the back with 20 seconds to go but that makes up for the 15 that didn't go our way. Luke Dunstan was ridden into the oh, ground yeah, right in front sh- of goal. He had a shocker. I reckon um, it was five, six, three kicks. He did not get Yeah, it, it was, uh, it would have been one if we had lost the game that, uh, you would have called for a Royal Commission, I think. <laughs> uh, just, just about on the, uh, on the back of that. But yeah, you could, you could kind of see that one, that one coming. Um, it's, it's a funny one with the, the raw free kick numbers because mm. we actually won that. Yeah. We had more frees than them. Um, we got about the first six. Yeah, we got a lot of early so, ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things that, 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 free kick number can be misleading. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the ones that they don't call. They're yeah. the ones yeah. that they call on one side and not the other side that, that really kind of consider those. You can get those a lot of nothing free kicks as well that yeah, don't exactly. have no impact in the game. So That's right. And um, they made two mistakes at the end, Fremantle, and we capitalised on both of them. With about three minutes to go, they kicked the ball out in the full. And then with about a minute and a half to go, for some reason, Michael Walters just handballed it away when he when he was being tackled, which went to Ross and set us up, and we were able to capitalise on both of those votes, which I thought were pretty hard. Uh, we had last week; it was hard. It was an even spread. This was an even spread again. But um, I'll start off with you, H. What was your three, two, and one? Um, I think, I mean, first game back, you're looking at going. He's not going to have the impact that you'd really like him to have after, say, 15 games or so. But Dan Hanbury just came out and started where he's. We know what he can, what he can give to the club. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it twenty-three touches, two goals, the first two goals we have of the game, mm-hmm. and his pressure around the ball, everything like that. He, he just showed us what we got him to the club for. Um, yeah, two to Hunter Clark, he was consistent all day. Mm-hmm. Beautiful disposal, left and right. I don't, I can't remember the last player we've had with such a natural left and right foot. Probably Aussie. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and one, not because of his 22 touches, not because of his three goals, but just the impact on the game, the, on the team that he had. Yep. Jack Stephen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've gone a little bit similar. I've gone three to Jack Stephen. I think he was just, he played the part of a pure match winner on the weekend. And, and something that, that we have sorely missed this year is his kind of um, excitement around the ball, his ability to break break away from stoppages um, and, and kick a goal. Um, really important for us. 22 touches, three goals, one. Really happy with his, his return. Uh, two, I've gone Seb Ross. I thought he was really good in the clinches. Um, 28 touches. He had nine tackles. Nine mm. tackles for Seb, which which I was impressed with. Uh, and one was, was one of our leading um, metres gained players as well. I think it was something like 440 metres gained from his, his possessions, which was really important. Um, and I've given one to Tim Embry, um, again, really strong target up forward, had 16 touches of his own, kicked two goals, one, 
six marks, most of them inside 50 as well. So thought it was really important for our structure and, and just gave us a really good marking target to kick to. The two guys we've missed most of the year, I agree, Dan Hannabury and Jack Stephen, five votes between them. They kicked five goals out of our uh, ten between them. I've given three to Jack Stephen for that match-winning role. Two to Dan Hannabury for his consistency the whole way through. And I was throwing up between Hunter Clark and Shane Savage. I've gone with Shane Savage for the vote for the defensive role he did in the running carry. And... Uh, some of the decision-making he, he did and, and the, the role he played in a number of our goals as well. Uh, a little bit later on, we'll hear some of your feedback via Facebook, uh, Twitter, email, etc. And we'll also uh, take a look at the match committee. Nick Caulfield's one that we'll have to replace, obviously, on the back of that shoulder injury out of the game. And we ought to have held our collective breath when Rowan Marshall went down because it looked pretty ordinary, very similar to the Jack Loney one from earlier in the year. But remarkably, he started the second quarter. He had 15 possessions in the second half after only five in the first Rowan Marshall, so his efforts must be acknowledged as well. But we are going to change tack now for our second interview as part of Unplug It. It was Spider Everett last week. This week, we're delighted to welcome Adam Schneider. Goes the cross for Schneider with the sit. Couldn't hold on. Gilby's at him. Schneider gets away, and he can run just about all the way, all the way, and drive it home for his second. And we are joined by Adam Schneider, 130 games with the Saints across a 228-game career, a member of our 2009 and 10 grand final sides, won a flag with Sydney in 2005, ripped us apart along the way there as well. But Schneider, uh, thanks for, uh, for joining us. Yeah, no worries, guys. Thank you for having me. Now, when you, you look back, I mean, without starting with the, the hard question, First up, you look back at the 130 games with the Saints. Now, you are a premiership player with Sydney, but do you look back and say, you know, we, we were a, a terrific side that did some some wonderful things and the overriding emotion is pride, or is there that, that I guess, the very small part of you that, that is the missed opportunity with uh, with what was a very good group? Oh, look, I'd be lying if I didn't say you had a little bit of regret slash, you know, if only sort of moments, that's for sure, but... I think um, the team we had and the bond we sort of had as a group, it's it's still extremely strong today. So looking back, yeah, you're more than overexcited than what it was. And like I said, we catch up every week before the grand final and it's it's a special bond that we have, even though we didn't get the success. But you sort of have no regrets in the fact that you gave it everything. It just obviously didn't get the result that we're after. Schneids, Nick Splitter here, mate. Thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, just no worries. To, just wanted to ask a quick one about your kind of favourite memories in the red, white and black. Obviously, had the ball bounced a couple of different ways. You might have a different answer to, to this question, but out of out of everything in your 130 games for us, what, what was your favourite memory? Well, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, look, the experience of the grand finals, obviously, no doubt, is was always great. But even the prelims, you know, they were always big games of footy against the Western Bulldogs. I think we played twice to, to get into the grand final. They were big games. Um, the draw in 2010 was, was obviously a huge, a huge moment. Um, something I'll never forget. So, um, yeah, look, that's definitely it. But they're also playing into milestone games with some other players. I'm playing in Robert Harvey's, one of his milestone games. Um, also, it was something to remember in, in other games like that. So, equally, one you never forget. Dave Schneid's there in here. Um, basically, I'm just going to check the... Players that you sort of got to know around the club the best from the time that you were with us. Um, you did move down with, obviously, Sean Dempster down to the club. Who who was the ones you basically clicked with the best there? 
Yeah, Sean and I came down in the same deal, and I moved in with David Clark when I first come down, who's an absolute ripping, ripping man, and got a ripping family with Raph and and Pam, his mother, and all that. So they were really welcoming, and and the guys like Del Sano, Montagna, and Kazitsky, uh, Milne, sort of the first day I was there, sort of took us out for dinner, and and we probably, you know stayed strong ever since. And like I said, to go through some of the stuff we went through um, was obviously. Not the great greatest things, but it turned into an ultimate friendship, and we still catch up regularly. Every opportunity we get, we still chat regularly. There's a group of about thirty of us in a text message that's been going for five years now. So it's sort of them guys we sort of continually go, and basically we just take the piss out of each other. But it's all <laughs> friendly banter, and and we really enjoy it. So I'd, I'd probably say them guys there are the ones I'll still keep in touch with regularly. That 2009 season, you're your second at the club. You've played the the 24 games, and St Kilda's gone. Uh, 22 and three over the course of the the season, including the the grand final. It's it's statistically speaking the best St Kilda side of all time, and statistically speaking one of the best sides of the modern era. Unfortunately, obviously didn't quite go all the way. But that year, I mean, 2008 was a little bit indifferent. Whether we hit our straps late, but was there a point in 2009 where you thought, "Geez, this is a uh, this is a pretty pretty special thing we've got going on"? And and what was it, I guess, that made that all click that year? The the defensive numbers were, were astronomical. Yeah, I think so. Look, I think 2008 was obviously an okay year. It all made the prelim, I think it was, against Hawthorne. Um, but then in 2009, we probably just sort of found the game plan that Ross had brought down. And I guess the defense, defensive side of things, it was it really was on. And I think we just had everyone playing a role for the team, which made a huge difference. You know, we had blokes like Andrew McCall and Rob Eddy, who, in respect, are not huge names for the club, but geez, are important to us. Um, in doing some stuff which allowed Stephen Milne and, and Nick Redell to cheat out the back and kick all the goals <laughs> and get all the glory. But having guys like that, it was just fantastic. And I remember going to games and talking to Joey Montagna about it and we got excitement out of hearing the crowd get excited with us doing the pressure. And we remember we could just sort of feel it coming on and on and constant pressure in the forward and midfield and all of a sudden we get goals from that. So, look, it was... It was something that was obviously a year and a half in working and, and it sort of come off for us. And I don't know, without sounding arrogant or confident, it was just you go to a game knowing, yep, if we play the way we want to play, we're you know, a really good chance of winning this. And it was enjoyment and enjoying doing it. Um, Schneid, fast forward a, a, another year and obviously a, a really strange situation for all of us uh, at the end of that first 2010 grand final. What, what are those overriding emotions and thoughts that go through your head when, when the siren goes and you realise... You haven't won, but you haven't lost. And what, what are you feeling in that moment? Oh, mate, that that is so hard to describe that feeling. And I guess you guys, as supporters, is probably the same thing. How do you describe it? You know, if only you had five minutes more. If only the ball. All this kind of stuff goes through your head. But just at the time, it was it was a funny story to go along with this. So I'll let you guys know. After the game, couples didn't know what to do. Are we having extra time? Are we coming back next week? And Right, oh, we got the message. Right, I'll oh, come back next week. Beautiful. Let's let's go across to the rooms. And Lenny Hayes got up and got his award and and all that kind of things. And we're right. I'll oh, we'll go back to the change rooms and get dressed and sort this out. And we got a message that the sewerage had leaked through the yeah. whole change room. Yep. <laughs> so all that toilets were flooded with sewerage and stunk and all that. So we couldn't even go in there. So we've gone to the old change room, MCG. So that just added to the weird feeling. And I remember initially when the song went, it was just the crowd was there, this eerie noise. It like I don't know, I've never seen someone be murdered. It was like someone had been murdered in the stadium. No one knew what to do or say. It was just weird. And you look at the cross and guys are just sort of stunned face. And, and then it was, and we had a chat after it. And 
I remember this clear as a bell that night. We went home, um, and I called Stevie Milne, and I said, hey, buddy, you going all right? And he goes, mate, you know, we're playing another grand final next week. People get an opportunity to play in one grand final. We've got a chance to play in another grand final. From that moment, I just turned it around and go, you know what, you're bloody right. Mm. How exciting to have another opportunity to play in a grand final. And unfortunately, it didn't go our way, uh, but the mindset just changed straight away, and it turned to excitement again. Yeah, I was going to follow on from Nick's question there and just sort of question... Um was the preparation for the second game much different to what the first one was? Um, obviously, it turned out a lot different, um, but was there really anything that changed that week from the previous? Oh, look, I think it was more obviously knowing what was ahead of it. You know, there's no grand final parade. Um, it was mostly focused on recovery because it was a long season, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, no, look, not, not a heap, to be honest. You just try and treat it, and this is what Ross did really well. It's it just another game of footy. We caught it round 27, I think it was. It wasn't a grand final. It was just round 27 v Collingwood. So that was sort of our focus, and um, we moved on quick. There's no doubt. I know Collingwood said the same thing. They moved on, and they probably claimed they moved on better than us, but in better fact, they were probably the better team for the year, and um, they got the win they probably deserved, and... Like I said, we, we probably missed opportunity in the, the week before to do that. So, no, no different, mate. It was, it was all the same. I was going to, um, there's been a lot of people talking about the, the, even the health of the group second time around. Did you feel that the group was banged up for that, that replay? Or did you feel coming into the game that I guess you were fresh enough to be able to take the challenge on? Because I guess a lot of people thought, even observing St Kilda, that they looked like they had a lot of sore bodies. Yeah, I'm not, not going to use that as an excuse, that's for sure. We obviously didn't have Michael Gardner. I think did his hammy in the in the first one, who's a great player for us. Um, we know that. But in saying that, I think the half-time, I think we had two goals nine or two goals ten, mm-hmm. something like that. So if you turn that around, I don't reckon too many people would have been saying that. Um, and the game would have been right on. So it's easy to say that looking back. Um, but look, we may have been some players. I can't speak for everybody, but, you know, it's... It's, it's no excuse, that's for sure. The last one from, from me in that regard for, for that particular era was, so Ross Lyons copped a bit of criticism, I guess, for the, the way that St Kilda's list was after he left at the end of the 2011 season. Uh, is that fair or, or unfair? I mean, obviously he drags St Kilda to within an inch of, of a couple of premierships, potentially back-to-back premierships. Uh, has he copped, uh, I guess, a negative rap for the state of St Kilda's list, or could perhaps we have seen more of Jack Stephen, Tom Lynch, these sorts of players, late in his tenure? Well, to come out of two grand finals in nine and ten, and then a year later, you can't say, I, I personally believe you haven't left the list in a bad way at all, Yeah, really. Um, if we'd won two of them, he's a genius. Or well, we won one of them, all of a sudden he's an absolute genius and you keep going on now. I know the young guys didn't get opportunity, but that probably comes through having a healthy list as well at the time, not having too many injuries for them guys not to get that opportunity. Um, and I reckon if you look back at Jack Steve and Jaron Geary, these sorts of guys having to come through the VFL, I reckon that's made them better players. Um, and they, looking back now, right now you'd have to say they are because they had to do it the hard way. And they, they really learnt some hard lessons and, and they've come out the other way but even better. And Tom Lynch is probably another example. So... Yeah, I, I definitely don't buy into that, that criticism for Ross. Now, you're up there coaching GWS in the NEFL at the moment. Um, now, we've got another senior up there at the same time as well as assistant coach, Lenny Hayes. Uh, now, your aspirations for coaching is where do you think you'll be going with that and where do you think Lenny might end up? Yeah, we all know everyone loves Lenny, don't we? <laughs> it's funny that I, uh, I was obviously at the Sons and 
I just signed a contract two weeks before I got traded to St Kilda and had the right to say no. And I said no. And then Rossi rang me and said, look, we'd really like you to come down. I said, oh, mate, I just signed. Appreciate it. I said no. And the third day, Lenny Hayes called me. And I said, oh, God, I can't say no to Lenny. So <laughs> come down to St Kilda, it was, the best, it was the best thing I ever done personally for me. Um, and then Lenny spoke to me about the Giants job as well. And I said, oh, well, I better go follow Lenny as well. So, yeah, look, he's, he's great, mate. Um as a player, I would have thought he'd never be a coach, to be honest, because he's very quiet. But he just led by example. You know, obviously we see how he plays; he's unbelievable. Mm. Um, he just he led that way. And over two years I've been here now, he's he's definitely grown, and he's going to be a great coach if he ever wants to be a senior coach down the track. Um, but he's definitely got the boys in, in the midfield going well, and a lot of respect from everyone. Uh, mate, we might might rewind a little bit back to uh, back to the very start. Obviously. You were drafted in, in 2001, which is a, a pretty memorable draft. Um, you went at pick number 60, um, 228 games, 257 goals. There wouldn't have been too many people picked, you know, pick 60 and, and beyond that would have had that sort of career. What, what do you put that down to? Um, I think I was a 17-year-old back then as well. Wasn't expecting to get drafted. Um, it was a year it wasn't on TV, so... I know all the years it's been on TV, and this year it wasn't. It was only on the internet. So I was at my house on the farm, and the internet had crashed, so I couldn't upload the actual draft. Didn't know what was going on. So what you do in the country, you go down to your neighbour's house. So I drove 2K to my neighbour's house. He wasn't home. Front door was wide open, so I just went in and used his computer, and we watched the draft on there. So, and then, got yeah, lucky to go to Sydney, like I said. And, oh, look, to be honest, mate, I'd... I'm not sure. I think Sydney took a bit of a gamble on me, taking me as a young player. I'd only played 11 games in the TAC Cup that year, I think. And, um, yeah, had the opportunity to go play out there. And I think I was pretty lucky, mate, to be involved in some pretty good teams. Uh, I had some good players around me as well, which obviously hurt my career. But, no, I was just a young kid who loved footy and got the opportunity. Now, after you finished playing football, you decided to take a very different direction. Um, Kabaddi. What and why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah good call. Um, oh, I was going to go into coaching straight away, and I went on a honeymoon and thought, oh, I, need a, I need a year out of the system just to live a normal life. I had a young family and played a year with, with Milne in the in the VAF, and we won the grand final. And the next day, Campbell Brown rang me and said, do you want to play go to India and play Kavadi for three weeks? I said, oh, yeah, no worries. Obviously, a few came in after celebrating the flag. <laughs> Calls tomorrow, mate. They're moving in, that's for sure. Anyway, we thought he was just taking a piss. I had no idea what he was talking about. And he goes, mate, so here's a video of Kabaddi. Never heard of him before. And we, you're flying out. We're flying out in two weeks, and we're going to go to training twice before we go to learn the game. And oh my god, what are we doing here? And <laughs> Kabaddi is it's basically this is how I sum it up: a seven v seven on a basketball court, except someone forgot to bring a basketball. <laughs> that's right, oh. We're going to play tag and, you know, you got to try and knock out as many players as you can in half the court and go back and forth the other way. So we've gone over to India, Ahmedabad for 21 days, played against these guys of freaks. There was, I think, over 2 million people watched the opening ceremony. It's bigger than the Soccer World Cup because they're absolutely mm-hmm. mad over there about it. And we are getting police escorted everywhere just to walk down the street because um, we're in a World Cup of Kabaddi. And the opportunity came up and it was, look, it was actually great fun. I actually really enjoyed the game. Um, no idea what we're doing half the time, but it was good fun and obviously a great experience and something I'll probably never get an opportunity to do again. Well, uh, Adam, uh, you were a part of a, a terrific 
uh, era for St Kilda. Obviously, didn't quite taste the ultimate success, but it was a heck of a lot of fun, that forward line that had you, yourself and Milne and Nick Rewalt and Justin Kajitsky. So uh, we thank you for your, your contribution to the club and thank you very much for joining us. Good luck with the other uh, next chapter up there with the other Giants and uh, wherever coaching takes you and, uh, and Lenny. No worries, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Adam Snyder joining us there, 130 games with the Saints across a, a very good 228-game career. Time now for our Issues of the Week. The Big Issues. And a lot of those issues centre around trade, and John Ralph wrote an article about our trade targets over the last couple of days. And the, the Todd Goldstein, it was on, then it was off, and now it's apparently... Back on again. Uh, we know that Sam Draper signed a four-year deal with Essendon, so he's off the table. But the Todd Goldstein one, there were a few rumours out of their 150-year uh, celebration the other day that he spoke to a few people about being open to a change of scenery. And North, I believe, are offering him either two years or one with a trigger to go into a second. And St Kilda are going to offer him three. So it's that case of job security versus staying the, the one-club player. So Todd Goldstein's gettable. And I think with... What would have happened to us if Rowan Marshall went down? That sounds a little bit more justified to me. The Brad Hill one, uh, we also heard that Peter Bell is going to have conversations with St Kilda in the next couple of weeks about where that starts. But the other one is Jack Stephen, obviously. Uh, I guess what are your thoughts on? I think most of us were probably resigned to him going, but then we saw how well he played and we thought, well, can we do something about that? And and how the other players all reacted to him and how they got around him. And he he didn't look like he was going anywhere on Sunday. (laughs) He... Mm just blended into the team seamlessly, really. And as all the supporters, all the players, I think we're very happy to see him back. Yes, aside from an extra kilo or two around the, <laughs> or around 12. the uh, waistline, <laughs> he, he looks pretty good. And, and like you said, the way the guys got all, all around him and, and I think the way that he reciprocated as well, um, he, he looked 100% um, in, in the red, white and black. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard to, watching that, it's hard to think of him in, in, another, in another jersey. Something that I'd kind of, as you said, resigned myself to over the last, you know, probably six to eight weeks. But uh, look, it'd be disappointing to see him play for another team. But I think, as as I said last week, he's done he's done a lot for for the club. He's done a lot for us as as fans, and and he's been a great servant. And and if that's what he needs to do to to get himself right, you know, mentally, emotionally, and, and whatever, and, and be close to the family, and then that's what he's got to do. And and you can't begrudge can't begrudge the guy for for wanting to do that. Um, I guess in that case, it's it's what what is the best outcome for us as a club, and you know how hard how hard do we play you know, against Geelong to to kind of get that, that best outcome? And he's a star, and and I think we saw with him in Hanbury maybe some of the frustration of what we've been missing this year and what might have been with them together. They may only play three games together ever conceivably before he leaves, but but yeah, I mean it was tremendous buy-in from Jack. And look, if that's the last game he plays at Marvel Stadium for the club, it's it's not a bad way to go out, but we hope it isn't. Yeah, I did hear a theory um, saying that perhaps we could allow him to train a little bit looser than what we do, let him live down there, train down there by himself a little bit, come back up to yeah. the club when we need to be if, if he wants to stay. Yeah, it's the delicate balancing act between we need him, but he's been great for us, and it's about also protecting what's in his best interest and, and making sure that he's looked after and, and happy as a person. And that may well be at Geelong. And I guess Ed Carmi asked the question off Twitter, at Unplugged, what should Geelong be paying for, for Jack Stephen? Well, um, look, Charlie Constable's a good young player for Geelong. Whether they're prepared to part with him and something else, I don't know. Not sure about Ryan Abbott. I think Geelong have had... Very ordinary ruck stocks this year, and they're still not picking him. They've, they've gone back to Blitzarves. They won't pick either Stanley or Smith. So 
if they're not giving him a run, I mean, he'd be a depth player with us anyway, but not one that would be hugely reliable. He was a, a local league player in, in Geelong. I think he's played one game for the club, but I'd be looking at one of those guys like Constable or something like that, plus some a little bit of draft yeah. coverage. Or, or you'd want them trading someone to get an early pick that we can then on trade for Hill, say. Yeah, and the, the suggestion was that we would trade Jack Stephen for 36 from Geelong, then trade 36 and our first selection, which would be six or seven, to GWS for 12 and 14, give one of them to Frio for Brad Hill and then use the other one. So we'd end up effectively trading Jack Stephen uh, for uh, Jack Stephen and pick five for Brad Hill and pick fourteen, effectively, which isn't it's too, not too bad. Too it's bad. Not horrible. It's not yeah. horrible. I think you, you know, realistically, you know, I've seen a lot of comments on on Facebook and Twitter about, um, you know, essentially it, we we all overrate our own players in terms of trade of value and, and that sort of stuff. And I've seen a lot of comments saying, you know, we need two first rounders, we need three first rounders for Jack. Stephen. If he was twenty four, maybe it's, that's just yeah. not going to happen. I, I understand he's under contract, but it's just not going to happen. He's turning thirty. Uh, you know, on the eve of next season, so that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, realistically, any any conversation with Geelong starts with their first round pick, um, mm. and, and that's where it starts. And you know, there'll be a bit of haggling no matter what from, from that point on. But uh, I, w- I would be thinking a, a fair trade value would be a late first rounder, early second rounder. If you went for a pure straight swap, um, obviously there are some other machinations in place, and, and Brad Hill and some other guys that potentially on the move. Um, but you know, we'll have to see what happens. Just hopefully he kicks three goals every week up until the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the other issue before we get into a couple of the questions is uh, confirmation that Robert Harvey will be interviewed by St Kilda. We believe Brad Scott will be interviewed. Brett Ratton's already being interviewed ongoing. So there are a few that we know of. Um, I doubt there'd be too many others. Um, Justin Longmuir's name has been thrown up. He, he said that he was interested in the job on the weekend, but... Whether that goes any further, but um, yeah, Robert Harvey, the, the favourite son, will at least be spoken to by the club. Yeah, I, I don't think we should really cast net too far, though. It, I mean, he could be an obvious choice to interview, but once you're throwing it out too many, I think you're sort of getting a bit, we're s- bit too wide a spread. To we're still all on Team Ratten, though, aren't we? At the moment, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I, I think so. It's 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 only right to, to give him the chance to interview. I think he's, he's earned that right over, over the period and, and being a club legend, um, not to mention his, you know, 11 years of 10 years, 11 years of being a, a very good assistant coach and, and gets, you know, massive raps from, from every club that he's been at as, as an assistant. Um, every coach that he's worked with saw this morning, both Bucks and, and Ross Lyon came out in, in support for, for halves. Um, and I think w- Regardless of the situation, I think we'd all love to see him back at the club. Mm-hmm. Um, to see Robert Harvey in, in red, white, and black polo or, or whatever would, would be fantastic. Um, I, think, I guess it's just a matter of when is the right time and, and is it the right time now? Um, you know, Brett Ratton's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong at all, and, and he has to be in the box seat. Yeah, and when Robert Harvey gets his premiership, it can't be at Collingwood. It's got to be back home uh, where he gets that flag. Uh, Clint Laverty via Facebook said, now um, you can communicate with us um, uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash unplugged at unplugged on Twitter, unplugged podcast on Instagram and unplugged at gmail.com via the email. Clint says, would you trade Matthew Parker for Bradley Hill? I would. They wouldn't. I think it's fair to suggest. <laughs> if we could get that done, you'd do it in a second. But yeah. No, uh, nothing against Matt Parker. No, absolutely not. Yeah, That's I right. I think he has the, the potential yeah. to be a star for us. But you talk about a, a first year, you know, mature age recruit. Um, who, who's been a bit in and out of the team and has shown flashes. Um, and I think he's going to be a really good player, but you have the opportunity to bring in a Brad Hill 
Mm-hmm. For, for Matt Parker, I think you do it in a heartbeat. You don't ask questions and you just say go. Yep. And Clint Laverty also says, all things considered, should we call this season a pass? And what as supporters would be next year's pass, Mark? Well, I think it's going to be better than this year, really. Um, if we get all our players back on the on the field, we can only improve on next next year and, yeah, push for finals. Yeah, I think it is it is a very good question because you look at look at any season where a, a coach is removed from his position, um, you're in the bottom four for most of the year, you probably look at that as a, as a bit of a failure for, for a team that, you know, is potentially talking about finals two years ago and, and that sort of stuff. But um, we, we've played some good footy in, in patches. We've we've been competitive with some really strong footy teams as well. Um, and you look at the development of guys like Rowan Marshall, Cal Wilkie, um, even Matty Parker in the, the first half of the year, these guys were not on the radar um, last year and Rowan Marshall had played a couple of games, but I don't think anyone would have seen this season coming from him. Um, and, and he'll be our number one ruck, ruck forward for the next decade if things continue. Yep. Um, this season hasn't been a complete disaster. No, I think we get a pass given the the, um, the setbacks we've had and where we were last year. And if you look at it, we, we drafted five players last year, two kids who we haven't been able to see, but both of them look promising. Max King certainly does, and, and Bidal, from all reports, is good. And we recruited three mature age players. All have been terrific. Wilkie, fantastic. Parker, fantastic. And Nick Hind has been very good in the, the last couple of months that he's been in. So ticks on that front. And, and Wayne Dragwich says on Facebook, which players administration need to be moved on at season's end? Player recruiting, development, goal kicking, etc. surely needs to change. Richo alone can't be only held accountable. Well, they made a lot of changes last year. It was Richo that survived and they changed a lot of things around him. Whether that whether Aaron Hamill stays on as coach of Sandringham, I don't know. Whether they assess that. Um, recruiting, they've only just brought Gallagher in. Um, the assistant coaches are relatively new, but that might change just by virtue of who coaches the team. Brett Ratton might want a different panel. If it's him, if it's someone else, they might want a different panel too. But um, I think most of the changes they've made have been pretty positive. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot is going to depend on what happens with, with Ratton. I mean, if he if he gets the job, then obviously we're in in market for a, a new assistant for the midfield group and, and forward group. Um, if he doesn't, does he stay? Does he stay as, as an assistant mm. if, if he's overlooked for the, the senior gig? Um, I'm pretty sure he's contracted, but you know, I think if if he was overlooked, you'd probably say fair enough if he didn't want to stick around. But um, you know, so there, there will be some movement in some regard in, in that um, area about players. I mean, it's 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 always hard to tell and. And you don't know what happens at training. You don't know how some of these guys train. And, um, you know, in, in a lot of other sports, we talk about glue guys and, and the guys that don't necessarily play a lot of minutes or, or don't play a lot of games, but, but really hold, hold things together in the locker room and um, are really strong clubhouse personalities. And, and we don't really know, you know, from the outside looking in, these guys that, that maybe not in the, in the squad each week, how important they are to morale and, and motivation to the guys. And we, we just don't know, but there are obviously a couple of guys who I think we all know are probably, you know, on, on the verge of, of the club having to make a decision. Yeah, that's right. And, and we'll obviously discuss it as we get a little bit closer to the, the end of the year. And just the last one, Christian says your opinion, Christian Bessel, you're on Facebook, your opinions on Josh Bruce, an integral part of the team moving forward or someone that might have a little bit of currency. I, for one, don't want him to go anywhere. Josh Bruce strikes me as one of those heart and soul players, very popular at the club. So, and has been really good this year in, in a number of roles Had to play in the ruck for periods. So yeah, I'd be hanging on to someone yeah. like Josh. Is he is only the sort of player that, Unless we we're going to get someone absolutely phenomenal, yeah, in a trade for him, you wouldn't 
move on. He, no. he's, he's the club at oh, the moment. Yep. You look at, him get, look at the players get around him when he kicks goals. Mm. He, he, he's... He loves where he's playing footy. I, I love the guy. I think he's he's one of those guys that can can occasionally cop some flack because he he does wear his heart on his sleeve. He he does, you know, occasionally drop the head when things aren't going right. But like you said, the way the way guys get around him when he when he performs well when he kicks a goal, um, the effort that he puts in around the ground, you don't see forwards, you know, putting that effort for for every team. Um, and he he works really hard every week. Um, and, and I think he's a really important player for us. I, I would hate to lose Josh Bruce. Number two in the AFL for contested marks this year too is Josh Bruce. We'll jump into our match committee. Fans, welcome to the round 22 injury report ahead of our game against the Blues at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. We'll start with some bad news. Nick Caulfield will be sidelined for the rest of the year. And with a shoulder injury, he actually underwent shoulder surgery today. Um, he'll have a few weeks of rest before starting his off-season rehab program. But we should have him ready for the start of the pre-season. But in good news for everyone, Rowan Marshall's pulled up really well after his hyperextension of his knee on the weekend. I think we all feared the worst when he went down, but thankfully he was able to play the game out and really has no repercussions from that. And that's the injury report for this week. For a full rundown on all of our injuries, head to the Saints app. Look forward to seeing you all at the MCG on Saturday afternoon at 1.45 for the bounce. Go Saints. And there was an injury update from uh, Andrew Wallace, giving us uh, the lowdown on Nick Caulfield with a dislocated shoulder from the weekend as well. And a couple of uh, the others and, and how they're sort of tracking along. We know there's a few players that are, that are out for the year for the Saints as we sort of head towards the, the last fortnight of the home and away season. Still the smallest mathematical possibility we could make the finals, but a fair bit has to go our way to do that. I, I guess that that's the one. I mean, the, the replacement for Caulfield Webster, from what I understand, was crook last week. Might have had a bit of tonsillitis or something like that. So... And Sandringham didn't play, so we didn't get a chance to see anyone run around. It's not ideal that the, the VFL buys a line like that, but it's probably Webster, Brandon White, these sorts of players. Would there be any other changes we would consider making, assuming that Gresham is to miss again? I don't think so. I, I, I can't really see anyone that didn't deserve to keep their spot this week. Um, really, injury is going to be the only thing that changes anything at the moment, unless someone has a real shocker this week. Um the VFL players, as you say, Brandon White again, probably he's, he's played a really good games this year. He's probably going to be unlucky. They had the bye last week, so they didn't get to see mm. him. Um, but change-wise, I don't think it's going to be much. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty quiet week at the selection table, I would have thought. It's it's really, I think if Webster's fit, he comes in. I think he's the natural replacement for Caulfield in, in the current situation. Um, like you said, Brandon White's probably next, next up. Um, Bailey Rice had a pretty solid season too for... For Sandy, um, yeah, unless unless something major changes, I, I can't see too much else. Yeah, we had Rice and Rowe in the extended squads. Carlton lose Liam Jones for the remainder of the season. He did a good job on Jack Rewalt, so that's handy that he won't be there. That might force them to put Casbold in defence again like they did earlier in the season when Jones went out, which changes their forward setup with no Charlie Kerner who's out. Patrick Cripps had about 38 again on the weekend, and, and for Jack Steele, who was beaten for the rare occasion, as we said, yeah, that the no. job doesn't get much easier for him, but um, that's where especially, it'll go. Especially being Cripps' 100th this week as well. Yes. So I'm sure he's going to be up and about for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Steele's got a fair job ahead of him this week. Yeah, and I, I guess... If nothing yeah. else, at least, at least Steele knows who he's going to match up on pretty much every that's week. That's right. He, he would have yeah. known, known even before the, 
the last match that he was going to be on Crips this week. Um, it's going to be a really tough ask for him. I think he's he's our only player who can match up with him um, in, in a number of a number of ways. But if if he gets outpointed again, uh, it's going to put us in a really tough spot. And I liked that there was some Twitter footage of Richmond against Carlton where they had they rolled guys like Prestia and Edwards on Crips and. They showed footage, Cripps being a superstar naturally gets sucked towards the ball. So he sees the ball land, he follows the ball. And they noticed that his opponent wouldn't follow him into the contest and then Richmond would deliberately use his opponent nearly every time. If they won the clearance, they'd feed Cripps' opponent to try to get possessions the other way. So whether that's a strategy that Steele is next to him at the stoppage, but if Cripps goes into the stoppage, just hangs out and we can try to use Steele to, to maybe hurt them because the great players generally aren't accountable. Guys like Fife and Cripps aren't going to worry about you too much. So Yeah, and, and Steele does have the ability yeah. to hurt. You know, he's, he's, he's right. a beautiful kick of the ball. He knows how to find it mm. as well. But I think also, you know, going back to Richmond, they, they don't really have a guy like Jack Steele to, to match up on Patrick Cripps. No, that's and, right. Yeah. And Steele can do it. He's done it before. Mm. Uh, he can do it. And I think you've got to give him that opportunity to prove himself. He's probably you know, got a bit of a chip on his shoulder after last week. He wouldn't have liked being outpointed by Fife. And we all know how good Nat Fife is, but... Uh, you know, Patrick Cripps is, is a different beast, um, and, and he is a beast. He's a contested ball winner, you know, strong around the ground, very hard to push off the ball. Um, but if anyone can do it, it's Jack Steele, and, and Steele has the ability to hurt him going back the other way as well. Um, so I think you've got to give him the opportunity to, to kind of get one back after last week. But if, if it doesn't work, and if Cripps does get off the leash early, then then yeah, you look at look at Plan B, and that's probably a good place to start. What, what Richmond did last week, and I think that's something that we do have now. It seems we did have a Plan B this week, and previous times I don't think we did, because um, I mean, yeah, as we said, Fife dominated the first half, then impact sort of dropped off a little bit. So if we got a go lot of the ball, but I think yeah, it was in, the in, impact on the actual possessions he had, he, I think we. Yeah, just let him let him do a little bit, but then pressured when he had the ball more than stopping him getting the ball. Mm. So that it looks to be a plan B if the same may happen this week. It's clearly a better Carlton side than they were in the first half of the year. We beat them at Marvel. We weren't going that well, neither were they. It was a fairly ugly game. We should have won it by more than we did. Didn't kick well in front of goal, which has been... The story of our, our recent time, but um, we, we generally play the MCG pretty well. We've beaten them there four or five times in a row, but uh, the, the market suggests it's about 50-50. How are the, how are the confidence levels against a, a better Carlton side, but one who we've, we've comfortably dealt with for a few years? Um, surprisingly more worrying than usual. Mm. Um, it's, and they're the sort of team you sort of like, you don't want to lose to them. No. Um, but you could just see it happening, but at the same time, I think we've got the players and the list to beat them. Um, as you say, missing a couple of key players up forward, we should be able to cover um, yeah. what what we've got. Membry's, Membry won't really have a player that can go, go with him, no, I think. No, that's right. And we should be able to restrict them at the other end as well. Yeah, they're a very good football team. I think people mm. kind of still think about them as the cellar dwellers of the last kind of five or six years. They're playing better footy than they have in a decade nearly. Mm. Um, Easily. And, and they, they're going to be really good. In a couple of years, yeah, they are. If, if not already, uh, you know, going could be the start time. of something between the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said before, I you hate losing the Carlton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always want to beat Carlton, but they are they are legitimate playing really good football at the moment, and it's going to be a lot tougher than I think a lot of people think it will. Um, having said that, we should beat them. 
Yeah, we should beat them, but I think it'll be close. Yeah, I get the feeling that's probably a reasonable summary. We might just have a little bit more scoring power. I know they've opened up a little bit more, but without Kern, and as we said, having to swing Casbolt just changes their structure. But that's if they do. Casbolt might have to go and play on, say, a Bruce, and then the memory matchup will be a more difficult one for them. Uh, Weedering is is obviously one that they can use. But fingers crossed, uh, we we get the job done. So St Kilda and Carlton this Saturday before we finish in Sydney, and Sydney are rolling out every possible milestone they can for that game. It's McVeigh's last game. It's Buddy's 300th. They'll find another one probably as well. So that'll be a tough one, but we'll assess that next week. If you want to join us at any stage and correspond, you can tweet us, um, obviously, at Unplugged. Uh, you can jump on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Unplugged. Unplugged podcast via Twitter as well. Uh, make sure you also subscribe to our channel as well and, and follow everything that we are up to. Um, Unplugged at gmail.com uh, also for uh, email email correspondence if you want to send that through to us something a little bit more lengthy and you can catch the podcast replays of any of our previous shows including the chat with Spider Everett uh, via uh, Spotify and iTunes just search for us on Google and you'll uh, be able to find some of those a big thank you to Adam Schneider he wasn't playing in this game that we are going to finish with but we'll go out with uh, a little bit of throwback from H earlier at uh, Stephen Milne going berserk at Marvel Stadium in 2005 not sure what to do with it. Picks his moment. Goes short to Mill. And Stephen Mill will line up for goal number 11. And quarters, we believe that this little fellow with the footy is the only player this season to kick a haul of 10 goals, to kick double figures in the one game. Listen to the crowd. Tell you what, make him a late charge for the Coleman. Listen to the crowd. Milne's got ten straight. <laughs> Even the goal umpire's enjoying himself. This is... a sensational performance from Stephen Milne. Extraordinary. This is Unplugged, talking all things red, white and black.